greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 146 Manasseh Repents As King Manasseh solidified his power, he led the people of Judah into greater, more abominable sins. God sent his prophets to warn the wayward king. The prophets Joel, Habakkuk, and Isaiah delivered this message to the king. Their warning messages were recorded in the Old Testament in books that carried their names. Despite the risk, these men had the courage to publicly proclaim the message God gave them. Warn, Warn King Manasseh and the people of Judah. God told his prophets, I will deal with Jerusalem as I have with Samaria, which has fallen and is no more and I will punish it as I did the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as a man cleans a dirty dish, turning it upside down and removing all of the scraps. Ever since I delivered Israel out of Egypt, its people have rebelled and provoked me to anger. On this day, I proclaim my judgment against Manasseh and his murderous way of life. The king and the peoples of Judah will not continue in this path any longer. Manasseh scoffed at their warnings, but they kept coming. The more he heard the bold declarations against him, the greater his rage grew. The seers of doom are at it again, he sneered. Bring them before me. Let them explain just how they think their God can stop me. The message these prophets delivered in Judah put them at risk of imprisonment. Biblical and secular references indicate that some were imprisoned, including the elderly Isaiah. Tradition states that Manasseh was so angered by the work and faith of Isaiah that he had the prophet sawn in half. God's faithful people at this time suffered persecution, some of which is described in Hebrews 11 especially verses 36 to 38. See also 2 Kings 21, verse 16. One day, soldiers on Jerusalem's walls received a shock. Enemy soldiers had appeared on the horizon. Surprise attacks were unusual in ancient times. A nation typically had border lookouts and spies monitoring travelers and movements. 
Since armies were mostly on foot, they also move considerably slower than we are accustomed to today. But the Assyrian army had taken them by surprise. The Assyrians had moved swiftly through Judah, overthrowing and destroying many of its cities as they went. The Jewish centuries felt fear congeal in their stomachs as the enemy charged the main gate. When the soldiers were only a stone's throw from the walls, the Assyrian general yelled, Your king is our prisoner. If you want him to stay alive, send out your citizens to us as tribute. With King Manasseh captured, possibly while touring the kingdom, the people had no choice but to surrender a few hundred citizens in the hope of keeping their king alive. Women and children were roughly escorted to the city gates. The gates raised just enough to push them through, then it clanged shut behind them. When the Assyrians saw the unfortunate Jews thrust outside to become their captives, they scoffed in anger. Isn't your king's life worth more than a handful of peasants and widows? Where are the others? More Jews were rounded up and delivered to the Assyrians. Jewish soldiers patrolled the city walls, nervously awaiting the enemy strike. Again, the Assyrians bellowed for more prisoners. This time, the Jewish leaders refused. They realized the Assyrians had no intention of releasing their king. Despite the Jews' refusal to hand over more captives, the Assyrians were satisfied that Judah would remain a vassal state. The army began its return to Assyria. The soldiers prodded the many prisoners on, giving no regard to former station in life. All were treated equally, without mercy. Judah's king Manasseh was forced to walk. His hands were manacled together, his feet constrained by heavy chains. The harsh metal chafed his skin, causing bleeding and sores. The king only had a short length of chain between his ankles, forcing him to shuffle his feet, unable to walk normally. The long day of walking blistered his feet the first day, yet he was pushed on. Soon, they were raw and bleeding, yet he was pushed on. What went through the mind of this king, who had been reduced to such a lowly state? He had challenged his creator. His cruelty had been without restraint, without mercy. Now, he was at the mercy of his enemies, who showed no mercy. Two months and nearly a thousand miles later, Manasseh was a different man. The Assyrian army marched its captives through the streets of Babylon, taking great care to triumph over their royal captives, humbling King Manasseh even more. They brought him before Assyrian King Esarhaddon, son of the murdered Sennacherib. Is this actually the great king of Judah? Esarhaddon asked mockingly. Why, he has the stench and appearance of a stray dog. Where has your wealth gone, O king? Where are your gods? Manasseh had no response for the arrogant and contemptuous Esarhaddon, the splendor of the royal palace in Babylon, which Assyria had reconquered, highlighted Manasseh's great fall in rank. 
He was fatigued and filthy from having walked nearly a thousand miles in heavy brass fetters. He simply stared at the Assyrian nobles, his gaze filled with hatred and hopelessness. This man must finally learn submission. His kingdom will always be a vassal to Assyria. He saw Haddon proclaimed smugly. Obviously, he has still not learned his lesson. Commit him to the lower prison and confine him there until he surrenders Judah. This was the beginning of many long months of miserable imprisonment for Manasseh. Although everything had been taken from him, he still believed the pagan gods he worshipped would deliver him from captivity. Starting with Baal, he began praying for his deliverance. Yet Baal did not answer. Then to Ashtoreth, no response. Molech? Still nothing. Where was the divine intervention? As the months passed, Manasseh's frustration turned to distress. He had faithfully served and exalted these pagan gods for years, but they held their peace. The hopelessness of the king's captivity finally began to sink in. He recalled a story his father had told him about how he had been saved from the Assyrians. The god his father had worshipped, the god of his ancestors, had a long history of miracles and forgiveness. Manasseh began to wonder if the god of Israel could exist and if he really was as powerful as the old Hebrew legends declared him to be. Desperate and humbled, the king of Judah collapsed to his knees. He decided that it couldn't hurt to pray to the God of Israel for forgiveness and deliverance. But again, there was no response. Manasseh began to realize that worshipping wood and stone was a foolish pursuit. The king kept returning to his knees in fervent prayer, and though he was not released from prison, his realization of how terrible his past sins were began to grow. He came to strongly regret how he had lived and how he had led Judah into idolatry, reversing the hard work of his father, Hezekiah. Manasseh's deep regret became heartfelt repentance, putting him in contact with the living God. His repentance was a great turning point. Because of it, God changed the mind of Esau Haddon and the plans he had for Judah and King Manasseh. God always honors those who sincerely repent. The repentance of Manasseh is surely one of the greatest in the Bible. It illuminates how our God is so full of compassion and mercy that he will honor the sincere repentance of any individual no matter how severe their sins have been. No king of Judah had kindled God's wrath more through idolatry. Manasseh had even brought idols into the temple. His evil acts are recorded in 2 Kings 21. The only king to rival Manasseh's wickedness was the evil king Ahab of Israel. Yet when Ahab humbled himself, God's mercy even extended to him though it was not full repentance. If an individual confesses his sins before God and makes a full surrender to him without holding anything back, 
God will forgive him, no matter how black, dark, and numerous that person's sins have been. God will forgive them all. God ensured that his inspired word is full of examples of repentance and miraculous change. No one can ever say, my sins are so bad that God wouldn't even forgive me. No matter your own feeling or opinion on your personal sins, God is always ready to extend mercy and forgiveness to those who genuinely repent. King of Judah is never going to surrender his nation. Esau hadn't vented to his officers and advisors. Even if he did submit, no doubt the people of Judah would refuse to accept his decision. He could not afford another long and costly campaign in Canaan. He should release Manasseh and send him back to Judah. His experience should ensure he remains under our control and acquiesces to our demands for tribute. Judah can remain as a buffer state between us and the Egyptians. What benefit is it to waste his Syrian lives invading a nation that is already conquered. The king's will was followed, but many advisors were disappointed that another campaign was not ordered. Yet again, Assyria was unsuccessful in conquering Jerusalem. The proud military leaders undoubtedly wanted to redeem their record and avenge their defeats. A guard fetched King Manasseh from his cell and delivered him to another room. Manasseh didn't quite believe his eyes. The new quarters were a luxurious haven compared to the confinement he had endured for so long. Servants began bringing in a large tub and buckets full of hot water. The king could bathe and remove the stench of months locked away below. As soon as the servants and guards left the room, Manasseh threw himself to the floor and thanked God for his miraculous deliverance. After suffering many long days and nights in a dark dungeon, Manasseh was escorted back to Jerusalem and restored to his throne. Manasseh's return to Judah brought a great deal of celebration, especially in the capital city. Despite the familiar setting, the king's former advisors and favorites realized that a profound change had occurred while the king had been away. Manasseh was a new man and a completely different king. He keeps mentioning the God his father worshipped. This God of Israel, one of his top ministers remarked, I wonder what happened to him in Babylon. I was wondering the same, remarked another. I heard he is planning a nationwide program to prohibit the worship of any god but the god Hezekiah worship, but I don't foresee much success there. The people are dedicated to their gods and don't want to be tied down to the harsh laws of the past. The rumors of Manasseh's nationwide program proved to be true, to the surprise and ire of many. The king immediately removed the idols he had set up in the temple, cleansed and repaired the altar, and re-established the Levitical order to resume the proper sacrifices. 
he began a systematic movement to remove all of the pagan idols throughout the kingdom. He also sent out a royal decree stating that under state law, the God of Israel was the only God to be worshipped. The majority of people obeyed by sacrificing to the God of Israel from the groves of their former gods. Although this was a small step forward, it was far short of what God commands. His law commanded that all sacrifices be made at the temple in Jerusalem, and using idols to worship the true God is never pleasing to God. King Manasseh soon learned that removing idolatry from the hearts of the people of Judah was a next to impossible task. The pagan practices were so ingrained that it would take generations to eradicate, but he continued his efforts to restore true worship in the nation. Manasseh also worked to expand the city of Jerusalem and to strengthen its fortifications, raising and thickening the walls in many places. He appointed able leaders to administer in the other walled cities of Judah. Despite his attempts to turn the nation around, King Manasseh didn't live to see national blessings poured out on a nation wholly repentant and forsaking idolatry. The king died and was buried separately from the tomb of the kings. His sins had brought great calamities on Judah, but he was the only king to repent wholeheartedly from lawlessness and change to a new way of life. Manasseh's son Ammon succeeded him to the throne of Judah. He was 22 when he began to reign. The young king followed his father's example, but sadly, it was the example Manasseh had set before his repentance. Ammon rebelled against the God of Israel and rejected his father's godly policies. He even recovered many of the idols that Manasseh had sought to destroy. Judah was once again set on the path to oblivion. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the resources tab at pcg.church.com.